Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. So we've got some films to talk about, some new releases that will be available very soon. And we're going to start with one called Defining Moments. Uh, It's a Canadian film. And it's going to be available on all video demand and digital platforms on October the 8th. Directed and, well, written and directed by Stephen Wallace. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it stars someone that Canadian audiences will recognize, which is Eric Peterson. It's got a a wide ranging cast because it involves, the story involves a lot of different people. Um, But I should also say before I, I move on that this also stars Burt Reynolds, and this was the last film appearance that he made before he passed on. So it's um, Defining Moments is a, a comedy, sort of a poignant comedy, I guess uh, that's what it's attempting to do. And it revolves around a group of people who are each at a crossroads in life. And so in, in some ways the film tries to explore all these different lines. Like there's about eight people. So it it tries to sort of um, explore each storyline, but there's also some overlapping that happens uh, with people coming in and out of each other's lives. And uh, so Burt Reynolds, for example, plays uh, a man uh, at the end of his life. Uh, His daughter wants to get closer to him. Um, and he has it in his head that while she is pregnant and it's going to take 10, sorry, it's going to take nine months for the, a baby to develop. He's taking nine months to say goodbye. He's got it in his head that he's dying. Um, Eric Peterson's daughter moves back in the house uh, because she's also going to have a baby. And so there's a lot of circumstances there. A young couple is you know struggling with young love. So things like that are happening. Um, the problem I had with the film was that um, the acting is very, very, very uneven. Eric Peterson, of course, shines. Um, I think part of the problem is it was it probably was really difficult to rise above the level of the script um, and the way that the film was put together. It's so it's pretty much. If you think of all these scenarios and all these different people, you see that it's pretty cliched and it's really hard to, to rise above that. Um, and so the acting, the acting, like just on that level alone, like put me off. Um, and then when it came to some of the scenarios and the way they were handled, I just, I kept found myself saying, so what, you know, I don't, I don't care um, because there was, I need, if these situations are going to be familiar by now, I need more nuance, more insight, you know, something more. And uh, I found the film lacking. Yeah, I I agree with you on many things. One thing I I will um, slightly disagree with you on is the, the acting, because I think it was more the script that lets the actors down rather than the the actors letting the film down um, because it, 
this one has a, a really good cast. I mean, yes, you have Burt Reynolds, you have Eric Peterson, but you also have um, Tammy Blanchard, who played um, Eric Peterson, the, the doctor. I think his name was Edward Lieber or, or something that affects his, his daughter, Laurel. Um, Graham Greene is in it, you know, Canadian um, acting legend right there um, as one of the doctors. I think Nicholas Campbell has a, a cameo. Like there's a, there's a really talented group of actors that um, Wallace assembles. It's the problem is the script tries to do way too much. And as you said, this film follows, it felt like, eight or even more characters, but it's definitely eight. Okay. Eight characters. And they never give enough time to each character to really develop them more than the, I guess you could say the obvious note. So for example, the couple in the couple, the, the male is commitment phobia. He has commitment issues. Um, you know, Tammy Blanchard's character, she's 41 and she's now pregnant and her husband doesn't want to have a child. So he leaves her. Like, you know, you can sum up every character, you know, a backpacker who tries to commit suicide in one note. And it doesn't really dive deeper than that. And so when the film is trying to tackle these heavy themes, it never it never really resonates because, you know, you quickly hop from one person to the next. So there was times where we jumped back to Burt Reynolds character and I was like, all right. Yeah. There's this whole thing with him and his daughter. And it's like, what's the big arc? Well, he's, he feels he's going to die in nine months. Okay. Like, you know, there's different, (laughs) there's different interactions, but it never tells you like, I couldn't tell you anything about Burt Reynolds character outside of everyone thinks that he's a great man and a great friend, but I couldn't tell you why. Um, I, I felt that um, the doctor uh, played by Eric Peterson was, probably the most interesting because it was a combination of goofy doctor who's, you know, cracking jokes while he's getting the onset of Alzheimer's, but also he's the one that seems to be interacting with the most people in the film, which automatically makes him a little more engaging. Um, the, the stuff with the backpacker, again, I, I had issues and we can delve into it a bit further, like the way how it kind of tackles mental illness bothered me as well but i it bothered me very much yeah i think it really like reduced um mental health problems mental health issues suicide it really reduced them you know down to an overly simplistic level and it's it's not like that i mean you're right thank god that um graham green was there graham green playing his doctor but yeah yeah, and even how that is resolved, because you have the backpacker who he is um, put into an institute um, in the little Canadian town that they're they're in, while his American fellow backpackers kind of stay with Eric Peterson's character's house as a kind of bed and breakfast style resort. But in the institute, he strikes up a friendship that with a you know kind of kooky character, as you would expect to see, like in. Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something. But then that kooky character is revealed to be dealing with some really deep trauma and grief. Right. And how those two interact, it's interesting, but we don't get enough time with them. So then when certain things evolve and 
basically one decides it is his job to try and help the other through it, you know, kind of pay it forward in a way. It does feel a little too convenient, a little too overly sentimental, but that's partly because we haven't spent enough time with them. So it's just kind of like, oh, these mental traumas, this, this pain that you have can easily be mended rather rapidly. And, and I think part of the problem is the film as a whole wants to clearly wear its heart on its sleeve and be touching and sentimental. And, and it tries to be earnest, but I felt like it is one of those films that wants to be able to reach multiple people instead of trying to focus in on one. And at times, and, and this is not a knock to that particular genre of film, but it, it, at times it felt like it wanted to be able to play to the Hallmark movie crowd, especially around the holiday yes. time. Um, yes. and, and there is a big significant holiday portion without wanting to really delve into those tropes that those, the Hallmark crowd loves. So it wants to be a little more deep, dramatic, almost kind of be Altman-esque, but not quite that deep, but also friendly enough that anyone can just pick this film up and watch. And I don't think it works. And the, and the last thing I'll, I'll say before passing it back to you is that this film, I guess, finally put me in the camp that doesn't like chapter headings. Uh, because I always used to be <laughs> one point, that yeah. if a film has a chapter heading, I'd say, no, I actually know I like it. It's kind of interesting. And over the years, it's been a little tough to, um, I guess, defend that particular technique. But in this film, instead of doing three or four really in-depth lengthy chapters, they go very short. So by time it got up to chapter nine, I had, I think I may, might have looked away for a second and missed what chapter eight's heading was. And I just went, wait, we're already on chapter nine. Like how many chapters, like you, you start to be conscious the higher the chapters go that, well, how long is this thing? It's, it's not really not that long of a film, but it feels so much longer because of the, of including the chapter headings. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you there. You made some really good points um, about the film and yeah. Um, the fact that it, it is, yeah. Trying to do too much. And, and I think that's why, I felt walked away feeling like it was pretty cliched because yeah, as you pointed out with all the things that you've pointed out, that, that is exactly why it never got to, to dive more deeply into things that can be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, sorry, sorry to use this tacky tacky metaphor, but speaking of diving. Oh gosh, here we go. That the worst segue <laughs> ever. No, 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 no. It's it's if when with those who actually see this film, they all it'll actually go, okay, you know, we we yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So possibly the most groan-inducing segue I have ever spoken. Uh, we are going to dive into a film called The Rescue. It's a documentary film. It's going to in Toronto, it's going to open at Hot Dogs Bloor Cinema on October the 8th, and uh, the same day is going to be in Vancouver at International Village. And then the week after, it's going to expand into other cities. Now, you guys have probably heard of this film because there was a lot of talk about it. It won the uh, People's Choice Award for Documentary at this year's TIFF. And the filmmakers are um, Oscar-winning filmmakers 
who made Free Solo. That that was their their film in 2019 when they won the, the Oscar. The filmmakers are E. Chai Vassar Heli and Jimmy Chin. And so, yes, they come back. And this time um, they are tackling this story, a story that you also people may have heard of. In 2018, I think the whole world was centered on this uh, story of these 12 young soccer players and their coach who got trapped in a flooded cave in northern Thailand. And I think, you know, it garnered international interest, you know, from the from a humanity standpoint, right? Um, because that that sense of, you know, innocent people being trapped in something in a horrific situation. But also I think it um, garnered all that attention because in a in an amazing act of global cooperation, so many different countries came together to send help to figure out how to rescue these individuals. Um, and what basically it was a combination of um, volunteers, even like from the Thai Navy SEALs to U.S. Special Forces. And then in the end, they they actually reached out, the government and, you know, people involved were like reaching out to people that were individuals whose hobby it was to go cave diving um, because those men had done it enough and had developed these kind of skills to, to get into these kind of tricky situations because Navy SEALs and and, and U.S. Special Forces, I mean, they're not trained. They do some diving, but they're not really trained to go into, like, those kind of situations. And so the story, um, this this is one of the, the best films that I think I've ever seen, uh, mostly because it's, like, this incredible cinematic experience, the actual experience. It's like a movie that where you sit there and you're just, I just became completely entranced and, it completely took me over because the filmmakers also uh, were very, they're gifted in the way that they, they can combine how, you know, the precision of everything and how things, you know, developed. And so there's this suspense of, okay, there's this dangerous situation and it's, it's not getting better. It's kind of getting worse. So there's the suspense of that mixed with the, this sort of like mystery of like how are these guys going to do it and so they have this footage they're right there with the people some of the the footage has been some of the footage is reenactments um but it's you know that's not an issue in this film at least not for me and i usually have like a really bad reaction to reenactments so uh some of it is that and i know there's a lot of like personal interviews and you know, they start to like delve into the personal lives of all the people involved. So it becomes this incredible mix. And in terms of like the movie experience of it, the suspense, like the tension, the build up, like this is edge of your seat viewing. I was a mess watching this film. I was, and I, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not being dramatic and I'm not, exaggerating i was on the edge of my seat um deeply engaged like uh, and of course there are moments like 
that make you cry. There's moments of joy. There's moments where it's all mixed together. It's, it's a stunning achievement. Yeah, I really like this. This is my second time watching the film because um, I watched it at TIFF and it is still as tense and uh, as thrilling the second time around as the first. And part of it is because of just how skillfully the film is put together. Uh, as you said, they, they incorporate reenactments. Um, they sort through hours of archival footage. You've got the, the various interviews, but it all flows seamlessly. Like there's, there's parts where you're watching, you know, archival footage and then it might cut to a reenactment and then back to archive footage, but you don't even realize it, you know, just because yeah. it's, it flows, it flows so well. Um, even how they use computer graphics to detail the, the length of this cave, which ran like, I think, 6.2 miles. Um, and then the different sections of it and how harrowing it is. And then on top of that, they take you out of Thailand altogether just to give you a little background on cave divers and, and they're, they're kind of, I don't want to say quirky personalities, but almost their antisocial personalities and how doing something that is very dangerous in terms of cave diving. And, you know, there's one archival footage of one of the guys literally trying to pull himself one-handed through this really tight crevice and he's all covered in mud. Like, he could have died at that point. And to them, they're just like, oh, that's just, you know, part of the adventure. So they, they weave all that together with this tale that makes you at the edge, as you said, on the edge of your seats, because you are pulling for them to reach these children and get the kids out. Even though the entire world knows the outcome of this story, you still feel as if you're watching it again for the first time or yes, myself, the second so time you still, yes. you're still on your edge of your seats, even though I know what the outcome is going to be and you still can't help because it it's just such a well done movie. Yes. That was the point that, uh, you know, I realized partway through, I was like, wait a minute, I know what's going on. Like I know the story. I, I watched the news. I followed the news story. And yet there I was completely, um, involved in the world of this film this this was the power of the film for me it was that, that it just grabbed you by your lapels and just brought you in and would not let you go mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, one of so the things I, that i liked because even though i knew the outcome i didn't i did not know the techniques that were used to get the kids out because it was kind of like they found them they figured out a way to get them out all as well. But when you actually see and hear the divers explain the experimental techniques that were used, how close they were at every point of this to failing, and also the, you could say, the, the ticking clock of Mother Nature, because there's a pending monsoon that's going to be coming because it's monsoon season. There's issues with oxygen, food, um, just the sheer length of the cave and how do you get people out from there, especially kids who have no experience with diving. Like it's, there's a, a lot to learn in this film. So even if you think you know the outcome, you will still walk away going, wow, that's, it, it, the stories are far crazier than you will ever see on the news. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is one of those like stranger than fiction. Like you can't make this up. Mm-hmm. This, <laughs> you know, try as you might to try and make up a story like this. And it, it will never even come close. Um, and in terms of the 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 buildup of suspense, is this just like masterful, absolutely masterful? Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, I think everybody should open their hearts up to documentary uh, because of the fact that um, this is real life; these are real life situations. And look what happens with this story, as we both keep saying, the story that we all know, we all know how it's going to end. But look what this movie this film can do for you know to you while you're watching it yeah and, and similar to, to free solo i, I guess it, the divers are are people that can compartmentalize emotion um and it's it's clearly a theme with these filmmakers in terms of being able to conquer nature and do just very dangerous things you kind of need to be able to be removed from regular emotions and, and thoughts so that way you, d- you don't panic. And yet they still find a way to humanize these individuals, especially the divers. Cause you know, the, the two British ones that we, we follow for most of it, especially one of them comes off as a very cold individual. You know, you could tell that his hobby has probably hindered several relationships in the past, but he just kind of, goes with it because you know as he says he can picture himself putting emotions in a box and it's like well how many boxes do you have on this imaginary shelf you <laughs> come off very cold but then you know there are moments where even for him in his cold exterior the experience changes him like you know there's certain there's a there's one particular moment where he's he's all heart you know he's he's more determined than ever to to try and their best to succeed even though earlier in the film we we see how they initially thought that it was going to be impossible, you know, like it's so it's, it's very much a, a tale of faith and, and perseverance, especially mm-hmm. set in yeah. a country where they rely more on faith um, or faith to help usher in perseverance, where these divers are more just like, no, we preserve physically, but in a strange way, those two worlds collided and you need both. <laughs> you, you need faith and perseverance to get through um, yeah. moments of distress. <laughs> Yeah, it was like the world of logic meeting the world of faith. As you say, they both come together perfectly. Um, and I think it's it's just also got a larger message about people uh, as they talk about their childhoods and a little bit more about themselves and their experiences. You know, they weren't that popular. They were socially awkward. They were not good at team sports. So you picture, you know, you know what th- that means for a child, for a young man. And, uh, you know, the difficulties that families might have with a child who's like that and like worrying about them. Um, but this shows you like the importance of all different kinds of personalities. Like this is, we need all kinds of people. And it just, you know, it's, it was like a way of, uh, reinforcing that you have to respect everybody, no matter how different they are from you. They have something valuable. Yep. Yeah. Even the uh, the mild, you know, even the strangest of hobbies can end up being like a life saving skill. Yeah. When yeah. when utilizing the the right 
um, situation. So yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant film. I, I think it's one of the year's best. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Now, are you going to take us out with a, a family fave kind of film? Uh, yes. I don't know about family fave, but um, I did see the new Adams family um, film entitled the Adams family two. And it's the sequel to the, I think it's 2009 animated film, which I actually liked. I actually liked the, the original animated one. It was charming. It, it was, you know, a fun and harmless way to introduce children into like the macabre and a few darker themes. Um, the film wasn't as good as the live action ones with Raul Julia and Angelica Houston, because nothing could top Adams, the Adams family and Adams family values. But, you know, for what it was, the animated film was fun. This second one, uh, which I believe got released to VOD on um, October 1st, so just in time for the Halloween season. Uh, for me, it didn't work as well. I, I know my kids enjoyed it, but even watching them, I could tell that there were certain times where they were kind of checking out of it. Um, and the premise of this particular one is that the Adams, Gomez, and Morticia realize that their children aren't spending enough time with them. Um, Gomez is very much an overbearing father who... When he hears, I want to be left alone, he translates that into, you need more daddy time. Um, so huh. he de they decide that they're going to take a road trip across America. And as they put the entire family into the, the camper, um, a lawyer shows up who's voiced by Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride, probably his most popular uh, role, show, arrives and tells them that he represents a client who believes that Wednesday is actually his daughter and that the children at the hospital were mixed up on a, on a particular day. Um, so Gomez and Morticia don't want to hear that. They hop in the car, take off while the lawyer is basically chasing them across America to try and, you know, get this thing settled. So a lot of the humor is just watching the Adams family go to different places Niagara Falls, the Alamo, the Grand Canyon, and, you know, hijinks ensue as they're trying to evade um, the lawyer. And my problem with this formula is that the Adams family, I think, always works best when they are interacting with regular people, you know, people who don't know their ways or find their ways odd, even though the Adams family, their, their ways are considered normal having them move from place to place with no real person to connect with. You're just watching the family kind of interact with themselves. And even when they do interact with others, there's no meaningful connection. So it's literally, they stop at a place, they do some crazy hijinks, they hop back in the camper and go. And it's, it, to me, it, it doesn't work. Um, there's a sequence in it that I guess they kind of make, they make fun of little miss sunshine. They try and recreate that. And there's some amusing aspects to it, but it's it would have worked better if, you know, they had spent more time with those people. So by the time the, the real story and the real plot kind of reveals itself, you're already more than halfway through the film. And it just, it's not as interesting. And the way how the film wraps everything up, it's just kind of, you're just watching things happen. Um, you know, so to me, it didn't, it didn't work. They, they kind of missed the boat on this one in terms of recapturing all the things that made the first animated film a uh, fun to watch here was, you could tell that 
they were doing the sequel because they wanted to keep the the property going but without that type of connection it just i don't know it it, it didn't work for me young kids they'll, they'll like it like as i said my kids enjoyed it for the most part but they were far more engaged with the first one whereas here they would kind of laugh and then you'd see them look away do something else and then laugh so you know yeah that's 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 kind of the kiss of death for a movie eh? when the kid starts looking away <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean it's there's enough slapstick humor that young kids will will like and as i said they, they do try and throw in references for the adults um like there's a few subtle jokes that if you if you have a keen eye you'll catch like a friday the 13th reference um there's there's a reference to the alamo um draft house that if you're a cinephile that joke will be humorous but for the most part it was i don't know i I felt that there was other ways that they could have tackled it and you know it's bad when i or i should say you know it's disappointing when i walk away from that film going wow i actually enjoyed the paw patrol movie far more than this like it's you know it's it's just one of those things where I don't it, we've had a very interesting um, year of animated films and the things that I thought would be guaranteed hits were kind of disappointing. And then the other ones where I, you know, had mild expectations, she was like, oh, that was actually quite enjoyable. So who knows? Maybe it's just we're in a strange year. So maybe we're mm. getting some- and everything's sort of turning around. Eh? Yeah, turning around. Like, I, I still think the, the best animated film this year is um, the Mitchells versus the Machine which oh, yeah. is currently on Netflix because it's a Netflix film. Um, and that one was, it's zany, it's original. Again, you have a family that's on a, a road trip of sorts. And I think it is far more um, entertaining. And it's one that the whole family, well, uh, my family still talks about once they're on Netflix and they see it pop up. They're like, oh yeah, that was great. It's like, exactly. Like, you know, you get that genuine engagement type of thing. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Mitchell's versus the machine, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'd, I'd okay. recommend that more than the Adams family. Okay. Well, that's it for frame line for this week, right? That's it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.